0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pramer, couple on the show as always. And today's show, we're looking at Oregon football's 2020 receivers tight end room while also looking a little bit towards the future into 2021 and what Oregon will have at that spot. It was a strange year, COVID-related changes your perspective on everything and it's really tough when the only play seven games to get a true feel for a season and kind of what a player did and didn't do. Um, Jalen red led Oregon in receptions with 25. Johnny Johnson was Oregon's second leading receiver with 19 catches. Devin Williams led the team in reception yards with 286. He was third on the team in receptions with 15 Hunter Campmoyer and DJ Johnson, um, they led the team at the receiver or tight end position with touchdown receptions, each having three. But Travis Dye is the one who led the team in total touchdown receptions with four. It was a weird year, Eric, in which for the first couple of games at tight end, Oregon basically had just – DJ Johnson and a lot of his damage 10 catches, 113 yards, three touchdowns a lot of that came in the first two or three games of the year. And then Hunter Campmire got healthy, and Oregon had two tight ends for a majority of the season. And Hunter came on strong with 14 catches, 161 yards, and three touchdowns. But it, it never really felt like Oregon had that game in, game out. Superstar receiver. I mean, we thought Devin Williams was going to get there. We thought maybe Micah Pittman could get there uh, at different points in the season, but both guys missed games for different reasons. Um, and then you also wonder how much did the quarterback play factor into yeah. the production at the receiver spot?
2: Well, you can't that part can't be discounted because you look at Tyler Shuck, his first his first four games, he's averaging about 300 yards per pass passing per game. His last three, two thirty one, in the second half, he hardly completed anything against Cal, ninety one and seventy nine. And, and you say those numbers, and you you have to include the last two games. Anthony Brown's passing numbers, seventeen and one forty seven. So against USC, you know there was just over 100 yards of total passing, and against um, Iowa State, there was a little over 220. Like that doesn't create any much opportunity for the receivers to do much. And so, those last three games, you go from an offense that's averaging about 300 yards passing to an offense that's averaging like probably 175, 180, somewhere in that range. I don't, I could have done the math in the pre show, didn't do that. Error on me. But, like, for, the, but like the, 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 those are just like the baseline numbers. The, the receiving, just the possibility of catching passes and gaining yards, scoring touchdowns went down significantly over the last, basically half of the season, right? You only play seven games. The last three, it just the, the numbers did tanked a little bit. And, you know, you mentioned it. There were certainly um, injuries that impacted things. I mean, not having camp more the first two games, you could argue that impacted those first two games passing. But those were games where they still threw for a lot of yards. I think the more significant stuff was, was Micah Pittman missing th- three games of the season, yeah. which was pretty brutal. I mean, he, they, the stats say he played five, but he played the last snap against Oregon State. Um, after being cleared, like, I think right before the game or like the day before the game, he hadn't practiced in two weeks because of contact tracing. He finishes the season with eight catches, which is kind of absurd. I I expect him to do a lot more. And then Devin Williams, while Micah Pittman is out, looks to be kind of on a a trajectory to become a superstar. I mean, he has two games against UCLA and Oregon State where he has a combined 10 catches for 224 yards and two touchdowns. And it's like, here's the star guy. And then over the last three games, he combines to make two catches for 22 yards. So it's like, it's kind of hard to know what to make from this group. I mean, it's also a group that brings back, or, you know, had Red and Johnson back, and both of those guys were pretty below their production. I mean, I think it gets lost a little bit here that, you know, Johnny Johnson back in 2019 really had a breakout season. And the feeling was that maybe he could be a guy who, I don't know, maybe he doesn't get a thousand yards receiving in 2020 or you know, in a full 2020 season. But he's not that far off because this is a player who um, had had 836 yards and 57 catches and seven touchdowns in 2019. And in half the games, he catches 19 passes for 206, seven yards and two touchdowns. If you double those numbers up, I mean, he's coming about, I think, two thirds of the way to his 2019 production. And so, like, everybody was impacted you know, adversely, nobody really lived up to their, their career numbers. Like you go at Jalen red. And I think maybe from a receptions perspective, he was kind of on par with what he did the year before. Um, Cause he did have what I'm sorry. I'm pulling up the stats here. He did have a, uh, yeah. So he had 25 catches actually Jalen reds numbers are actually extremely, I just pulled this up. I should have done this before he had 50 catches in 12 games in 2019 in 2020, he had 25. so that's double that up, that's 50. and then you double up his receiving yards from 281 to 462. We'll hit 465. So yeah, 562. So he actually out, outproduced his, his, his stat line a little bit in 2020. So that's kind of the outlier there, but like for the most part, none of these guys really produced at the level we had expected at receiver and it was a little disappointing. With that said, I gave this group the best letter grades for the season. And it was not, a, it was a group that was at least reliable. And I don't think any of the games they lost were because of them. Like, yep. like it wasn't a group that was, I mean, gosh, you remember back in 2018, they were dropping passes left and right. There was no consistency in terms of who would get, unless you threw it to Dylan Mitchell, it was probably going to end up in the dirt or picked off. And this group was not that case. And I think this group really, honestly, like, if not for some poor quarterback play down the stretch, like could have had a much different, kind of output from a season perspective. I mean, you think about the Fiesta Bowl, and I said, you know, Devin Williams had two catches for 22 yards. Well, he had like about a 50-yard touchdown pass that he should have been thrown from Anthony Brown that sailed over his head. And there were a lot of similar plays from Tyler Shuck in games leading up to that. I remember Micah Pittman a couple of times should have been a touchdown, and the ball just didn't hit him. Um, So it's kind of hard to know exactly what to make from this season for a variety of reasons, but I think you come away saying it's an extremely deep group that was not the reason the passing offense was bad. Like, like you can point to a lot of different things, but I don't think you can point here. You would have liked to have probably seen, I mean, the fact that you only had two 100 yard games all season and they were con- consecutive weeks from Devin Williams, right, Williams. like to have seen a little bit more than that. Probably.
1: I look at this and summarize it as a group that didn't necessarily overperform, but didn't underachieve. I think that's fair. like, they were, they were solid. They were never truly, as a collective unit, consistently elite. But you also knew that, hey, they were never going to cost you a game either. And unfortunately for them, the receiver tight end position is the one position I think that's truly reflective on the performance of another position. Like, maybe the other one is quarterback offensive line, but... If if you can't if if you can't protect the quarterback and if you can't have a consistent play at the quarterback spot, it doesn't matter how talented of a receiver club you have. Yeah, they're not going to be able to live up to expectations. And maybe that's more so of a sign of just where the quarterback spot was at towards the end of the year. Because early on things were good, but then it just fell off a cliff um, for everybody at that spot. Now this offseason, we know Hunter Campmoyer is. Off to the NFL, he's going to try and play uh, and get paid. Certainly, understand that.
2: I was a little surprised by that, by the way. Like, just uh, I agree. Like he had I, like one I full thought season. he was going
1: to come back, but like at the same time, like, can you guarantee he's going to have the ability to replicate what he did, even if it's a small sample size next year? Like, it wouldn't surprise me, Eric, if Hunter Cantwell had fewer than 14 catches, and 161 yards, and three touchdowns as a super senior next year.
2: And the other thing is he was part of the 2016 recruiting class. So he was already been in the program for five five years. years. So asking him to come back for a six, it makes sense. I just think from like a, Hey, this guy probably doesn't have a massive NFL ceiling perspective. Maybe he could come back and improve it. I was a little surprised. He was one of the guys that didn't, didn't choose to do that.
1: Sure. I agree. I agree. And and, and shoot, maybe, maybe he's got some really good advice that's, Hey, like. You might not play tight end in the NFL, but we think we, we can get you a spot where you're a special teams and maybe like a fullback uh, at, at the NFL level um, or right. an H back at the NFL level. I don't or know. Maybe,
2: but. Or maybe we're even sleeping on that. Maybe there are some teams that really like him as a tight end. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's some teams because he's a good, he's a good blocker. He's a really good blocker and he showed improved hands. I don't know. It just, I thought that he was a guy that it would make sense to come back. Like when you, when the rule came out, he was like one of the first names. I was like, that would be a guy that this should apply for.
1: Everybody else, though, is back. Jalen Redd has announced that he's coming back. Johnny Johnson has announced that he's coming back for Super Seniors. Devin Williams is back. You have DJ Johnson, who will be back as a a senior. Micah Pittman's back. Chris Hudson, Josh Delgado are back. You have Brian Addison, which is really surprising. Addison didn't record a single catch all year for the Ducks. When he was looked at as kind of like – off the 2019 season in which he had 18 catches for 203 yards and a touchdown, you were thinking Addison might be a guy that starts for Oregon in 2020. And he didn't catch a single pass all year, but Addison is back. Chris Hudson, a a, a promising freshman is back. Uh, Josh Delgado is back as well. Um, Both of those guys – young players they're adding Dante Thornton they're adding Troy Franklin they're adding Isaiah bravard they're adding Terrence Ferguson um, they're adding Maliki Matavo I look at the the group next year 2021 and think I don't know if there's necessarily a guy on this team that's going to be a newcomer that's going to become the number one receiver I don't think so but I also think there's a good chance maybe two or three of those guys that I just mentioned that are newcomers find their way in, into that top five.
2: Yeah, I think so. I Just really quick on Addison. He's changed numbers to 25 in his on GoDucks.com. They have him as a cornerback slash receiver. I think he might have moved positions, which is probably part of it. But either way, like I think it was surprising that he was a player who was forced to do that when it looked like in 2019 he was kind of headed towards, I don't know, stardom, but like being a – their number four or five receiver at worst for the next couple of years. Um, I, I agree with your point about the newcomers here. And I think at receiver, like if you're trying to predict the two deep here, it gets a little interesting. Like last year, they started Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red every game. And Micah Pittman and Devin Williams basically started when the other one was out. Pittman started the season, we should say. And I believe started the. The, the Fiesta Bowl as well. But, like, is it as simple as they start Johnson and Pittman uh, as the outside receivers and red in the slot, and Devin is your fourth guy? Or, do you, I mean, I don't know. Like, Devin Williams had the highest ceiling of anybody. And when he was given an opportunity, he was, he really shined. Like, and I thought, like, you saw from him, like, he has the talent to be something Oregon just doesn't have very often at the position, which is a long rangy guy who can make plays, you know, in the air, but who can also, outrun people down the field. He had a couple long touchdowns and the one against Oregon state obviously stands out like, and the one he should have had against Iowa state and the fiesta bowl stand out. Like I, it's just crazy to think he won't be a starter in theory. Um, And then you think about, you mentioned some of those younger guys um, at receiver and we can talk tight end in a second. Like I think it would be not, I don't, I probably wouldn't be totally stunned to see one of the two, true, one of the true freshmen as a backup at one of the receiver spots, just because like, I think Chris Hudson's probably going to be a backup slot behind Jalen red along with Josh Delgado. And that kind of opens up a backup spot behind either a Micah Pittman or a Devin Williams or a Johnny Johnson, depending on how that plays out. And maybe that's where you see a Dante Thornton or, or a Troy Franklin or a Isaiah Brevard, but it's not totally as clear and, the, and like we talked about this, the returning, you know, the returns of red and Johnson are really significant Yep. because if they would have left, like they wouldn't a traditional year, we would be saying it would be Pittman at one outside receiver, Devin at the other. And then, or maybe Pittman's playing slot. And then you've got Franklin or, I mean, we'd probably be ha- talking about this as if a true freshman would be starting or at least yeah. we'd be very, I agree there. That, right? Like if those guys didn't come back, we'd be like, hey, you got Pittman and Williams have to start, and the other guy is probably a true freshman or like a Chris Hudson or a, maybe a – I don't know. Probably – that would probably be what we'd be saying based on what we saw this last year, I would think.
1: I'm with you. Like, if those guys had left and decided they didn't want to come back for a super senior season, there's a strong possibility one, if not two of those newcomers are are starting. Because keep in mind, Jr. Waters has also left the program. Yeah. Um, Lance wilhoyt did not play at all really for Oregon.
2: He hasn't played in two years.
1: In two years. Uh, Isaiah Crocker is going to be a junior in 2021 and has not played really at all in yep. his career. Um, the receiver position, it, it, it feels like there is a big changing of the guard here a little bit. Like if, if Johnson and red had not come back, for another you know, year of you're losing a lot of guys and you're going to lean on a bunch of younger players that have very little experience. Whereas now I look at this group and say, if they can get just solid, consistent play at quarterback, we could see three, maybe four guys tied end receivers combined that go over 600 yards receiving.
2: No, I think, I think so. No, I think the, like in we saw in a in,
1: normal season, thirteen games.
2: Yeah, which is, which is what we're crossing our fingers and hoping is the case. I think expecting will be the case, considering that there is at least really some vaccine rollout going on. And I think at some point here, we'll see you know all the col- most of the college athletes. I don't want to say they won't be moved ahead of people. And this is a conversation I shouldn't be having, but like, but just like I think eventually we'll see a situation where where there's not going to be much risk for for these student athletes because of what things will be. Hopefully, by the time. August and September roll around. This one, we'll have things under under wraps better. And in that case, yeah, we'll play a full season. And I agree with your point there. Of like, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Like, if you just run through the names here, would you be surprised if Johnson, Red Pittman, or Williams or any of those four guys are over 500, 600 yards? I wouldn't no. be. And then whoever your two, top tight end is in the tight end, we'll talk about the tight end in, in a second here. Um, I wouldn't be surprised there. And I wouldn't even I wouldn't even necessarily be surprised if we see a Troy Franklin or a Dante Thornton one of those guys kind of emerge as your fifth receiver and that be somebody who is on the field enough and playing enough to maybe not get to that number, but to get to a number where it's 350, 400 yards. They have a cup maybe they have a game or two where they really shine and get over a hundred or close to a hundred yards and, and and kind of make some impressions because I mean, of course you're going to play Johnson and red, but again, and we talked about this with running back and how it was important to kind of know what you have behind Verdell and Dye. Um I think it's really imperative to find out after Johnson and Red leave after the 2021 season, who you have besides Pittman and Williams. Because those Pittman and Williams could both, in theory, leave. Yes, by the way. Like Oregon I was could, just going to say that. Oregon could lose their top four receivers after 2021, and you need to know what you've got from your, your, your next group here. And I think the thing that's been – I mean, the positions, and not to be – overly critical here, but it is a position group where you go, okay, you've got the four guys I just, we talked about a lot. You feel good about those guys. Chris Hudson's received quite a bit of praise and Josh Delgado's had some moments, but outside of that, they haven't had any development like Isaiah Crocker and you probably can throw Josh Delgado in there and definitely Lance Wilhoyt. And we just talked about Brian Addison and J.R. Waters moving positions or leaving the team like a bunch of guys just haven't really produced. And I I, kind of just think you you need to see some of these guys step up at a certain point here um, and kind of, and kind of know what you've got in 2022, because I think what you don't want the case to be is Oregon has really quality receiver play in 21. They lose three or four of their top four wide receivers and you enter 2022 with it being, we know these guys are really, really talented. We I mean, these are borderline five-star receiver recruits. They're just really young and haven't played because I just think it's really important to have at least some, experience on the field so I I would I would say it's again it's a tough balance but the the mixing and matching of making sure you're getting your veterans in the field that give you the best chance of winning but also getting some young guys some of these true freshmen and maybe even like a Lance Wilhoy and a Josh Delgado Chris Hudson kind of the second group here to getting them out there seeing what they can do because come 2022 you're going to have to probably almost rebuild this thing not entirely from scratch but pretty close
1: how do we view the tight end room? Because that's where we're gonna end the show. Here is the tight end spot. Clint Moore's gone, DJ's back. Webb will be healthy. He was out for the year with broken collarbone. He he played a little bit, but he didn't he didn't record a catch. He played maybe a couple down, you know, snaps. It was very minimal impact because of the injury. Patrick Herbert, we don't know what his status was, he wasn't even on the field. In 2019, in 2020, for Oregon in any of their games, um, don't want to speculate on that. And then they're bringing in a bunch of freshmen. Part of me thinks they're okay, they've got the talent, they've got the depth. Part of me also says they have one guy that feels semi proven, and I don't know who that one guy is. Like, part (laughs) of me is DJ Johnson. But DJ Johnson had one half of a good year in 2020. And part of me thinks that's maybe Spencer Webb who had one half of a good year in 2019.
2: That was exactly the way I was going to address it was that we've got like two guys who are half because none. I don't feel like we know exactly what DJ Johnson or Spencer Webb are big picture. Like, I mean, I know they both played a decent amount, um, but neither of them have ever really been thrust into a position like they're going to be this year. Neither of them have ever been full-time starters like they would be asked to in 2021. And I think, you know, the, we, we've talked about this before. The wild card is what are you getting from McCormick and, and Herbert? And if the answer is, is nothing or not very much, then you're going to really need something from these true freshmen. Um, you can't expect DJ Johnson and Spencer Webb to be the only tight ends that play a significant amount in 2021. You need, you need there to be a third, maybe a fourth guy. I know Cooper Schultz and Tyler Nanny are walk-ons, but they played a decent amount last year just because they didn't have the bodies, not a decent amount, but they played. Um, Can you call on one of those guys like Cooper Schultz? Can he just be somebody who comes in and blocks for you if you don't feel good about, I mean, I think that would be kind of disappointing. Um, So yeah, I'm with you. Like, I don't think there's, it's not a position group where I think you're, you come in feeling fantastic about, you know, kind of the level of experience. And I I think we, I think most people are pretty high on Spencer Webb's upside. And I think most people are pretty high on DJ Johnson's upside based upon, you know, what we saw in in 2020, but there's not enough really on tape to feel like either of them are are proven enough. Like Webb still continues to be a player who we don't know how much, how good of a blocker he is. I think the only highlight, I it's not even a highlight, the only like video clip I saw of Spencer Webb all season was him missing a block against USC um oh, so that's yeah, not that's not great that's like my only my, like my only mem- my lasting memory from the season for him is he did he missed a block in a big game that could have i think extended a drive but like we know the upside is high for we think the upside is high for a lot of these guys and and this is where we recorded our uh, a podcast last friday talking about kind of sleepers guys we think could could play um that are freshmen why Maliki Matavajo and Terrence Ferguson have to be brought up is because like, I think Oregon's going to want to play three tight ends. And if we don't know if Patrick Herbert or Cam McCormick are, are capable, I mean, because McCormick's missed three full seasons. I don't, I'm not trying yeah. to be mean about it. It's just like, what can you expect at this point? Um, that's a You long, expect
1: what's uh, happened the last three years over what you hope to happen. I mean. As, real, as cruel as that sounds, that's just, you, it's been three years. And until it's, it's at the point now where it's until you show me that you can consistently play, I can't count on you being available. Yeah. As cruel as that sounds. And and I hate that because McCormick's a really good dude.
2: Yeah, 100%. And he's a guy we've I – he's been on my 10 breakout offensive players list for like half a decade now. But I think think everyone I've ever done for Duck territory, he's been on the list up until this year where I kind of was like, well, at this point I just – I don't want to say I've lost hope, but it just seems kind of crazy to keep including his name considering the last three years he hasn't played. So then Patrick Herbert, same thing. So, like, yeah, I think you have to expect something from these young guys. I think the upside's not terrible – I um, mean, you've got what, what you do have for sure are some big athletic bodies that can really that are athletic and can move. Like, I mean, Webb and Johnson are NFL caliber athletes, I think, for for their size. And I think Matavajo and Ferguson have potential to be similar. But the question is, can they put it all together? And it's, a, it's, a, it's an important group. Oregon plays two tight ends a lot. And you need to be able to have three to four that you like. And that's where I kind of think yeah, I expect probably Johnson or Webb, one of those guys, to solidify themselves as quote unquote, the top dog. And then after that, it's going to be either some of these wild card guys who've been on the roster for a little bit, who we just haven't seen anything from, or, or one of these one or two of these true freshmen. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the true freshman. really. I really wouldn't be surprised if the, quote unquote, second or third tight end is is, is a Maliki Madavaho. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. And who knows, maybe it's a thing where he comes in ready and he jumps in and, and is a starter by the end of the season and just really solidifies that. And that would be best case scenario for this program because – since Jacob Breland went down with an injury, the tight end group has not been a huge strength I don't think for this for this team.
1: What's the ceiling? Like I I'm looking at, let's let's end the show here. I go back to like 2016 was maybe like one of the most used years ever for Oregon at the tight end position. I mean, Farrell Brown was third in receptions with 33. He went for 426 yards and and five touchdowns. And then Johnny Munt was fifth on the team or tied for fourth on the team, excuse me, with 23 catches for 334 yards and four touchdowns. Then a third tight end and Evan Bayless had nine catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. And we should also know a fourth tight end, Jacob Breland had six catches for 123 yards. And so maybe in 26, you know, maybe the tight end spot in 2021 isn't going to be that deep for from a production standpoint as 2016 was but is there a year like do you feel like there's a guy that could replicate somewhere between pharaoh brown's 33 catch 426 five touchdowns and johnny Munts' 23 catch 334 and four touchdowns like is there you feel like that's kind of like the goal get someone to go somewhere in between that parameters and and you'd be happy with that from a I think statistical that, standpoint.
2: Yeah, I think that would be fair, and like I'm not discounting. Like we all know, Spencer Webb has a tremendous amount of upside, and I think he has proven that time and time again. He's a really talented player. It's just he hasn't played enough, and he's had difficulty blocking. So, like, I think if like I really think if Spencer Webb puts it all together, he could reach a number close to what Farrow did in 2016. He could get 400 yards. He could get five touchdowns. I don't think that's absurd, but I also just don't have enough confidence because he hasn't done it yet for me to be like, he's going to go out and do that. So I, I, I think you're right. I think that's probably a fair expectation from a receiving perspective. And I think you hope that, I mean, I think it gets, that's not overlooked just how good of a blocker Hunter Camp Moyer is. I mean, that guy is just destroying people. And to me, that's as big of a concern almost as the, the pass catching part for this position is, is, is somebody capable of, of just being that kind of mean guy on the, you know, on the outside that comes through and just annihilates a linebacker, or takes a safety off his spot in the second level, or, you know, when there's a pass catcher downfield, he's able to get some guys out of the way. Uh, do they have those people? And DJ Johnson was a defensive player before this year. He had some nice blocks. Like you go back and watch the season there. It's not like you can't argue he didn't, but he had some other, in, in you know, instances where he missed on a couple. So I, I, like to see, I think that has to be addressed, along with just the receiving, because I, I do think this is a group that that uh, that, that will need to, to be able to store up some of the blocking that they lose with Campmore, who's like probably arguably one of the better blocking tight ends Oregon's had in in a while.
1: It's gonna do it for us here, recapping, looking ahead of the tight end and wide receiver position group for the Oregon Ducks in 2020, and also now into 2021. You can read all our work on this position group or position groups uh, throughout the week on duckterritory.com. Highly encourage you guys to check that out, continue to read it. And next up on our series of position reviews will be the offensive line coming out next week. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast.
2: Talk to later, folks.
1: Okay,
0: picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.